This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. When you think about fame or royalty, what is it that comes to mind? When you think about fame and royalty, what is it that comes to your mind? I want you to be thinking about that question as we dive into this passage this morning in Matthew chapter 21. So you can turn with me there. Matthew is in the New Testament. It's the first book in the New Testament. You can also look at the table of contents in the beginning of the Bible to find where Matthew is. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, their, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So I want us to look at this passage from two angles, the nature of the king and the nature of the kingdom. First, let's look at the nature of the king. At this point, the gospel writer Matthew and all the actual other gospel writers begin to slow down as they focus in on this week here. This week of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and then to his betrayal, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. This then shows us the importance of this week in the life of Christ. And so Jesus here is coming into Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. Uh, We see the Mount of Olives several times in, in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we see David also ascending on the Mount of Olives. Uh, We'll see a little bit later on 
other uh, important events that happened uh, on this mountain. But Jesus here directs his disciples to go into a specific village. And here we see the, the sovereignty of God. We see that Jesus is omniscient. That is, he, he knows all things. I mean, think about it for a second. Jesus here tells his disciples to go into a specific village where immediately they will find a donkey and a colt tied up and that if they were to then untie it, someone will ask the question, what are you doing? They were specifically going to say, the Lord needs it. And the people were specifically going to say, it's okay. You see the omniscient God here who sovereignly plans to orchestrate having donkeys tied up in a specific village. The other gospel accounts tell us that people even ask the disciples, what are you doing? And they respond saying, the Lord needs it. And they're okay with that. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? These random people just walking in and taking these donkeys that have never been ridden before. And so our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he, he knows all things. It's kind of interesting that the, the book of Isaiah actually gives us a, a glimpse of this. Because in the book of Isaiah, God compares himself to the other false gods. And one of the things that's repeated over and over in Isaiah is, I am the Lord and there is no other. And what's unique about God is that he is sovereign over all things. Look at what he says in Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That is that God has decreed the end from the beginning. He knows all things. And he is the one who has planned it all out. And so for us, for the Christians, this should actually help us to, to rest, to, to trust in him because he has planned everything out. He has orchestrated everything for our lives, for his glory and for our good. Notice also that Jesus here displays humility. Look at verse 5 in Matthew 21. There's a prophecy from Zechariah. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion was Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. This was prophesied a long time ago. And here Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy of riding on a donkey, a humble animal. And what's interesting here is that Zechariah points out that the king himself is humble. Here we must remember the hypostatic union, which simply is that in Jesus, in the person of Jesus Christ, 
that his divine nature is united with his human nature. That is that the one person, Jesus, is both God and man. And so here we see that God has humbled himself. We celebrate this during Christmas time, but we know that Jesus is truly man. That the God of the universe would humble himself, would become a man, take on flesh, and then ride on a donkey. He's humble. Philippians 2 points out that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That a king would lay his life down shows the humility and the love of Christ. And he's also the Messiah. We saw that he, this was prophesied in the Old Testament in Zechariah. But also look at verse 9. It says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, what's really interesting about this is that many times in the gospel accounts, you'll see that Jesus will often say, don't tell anyone that this happened or don't tell anyone who I am. You ever wonder why Jesus says that? Why does he tell people not to tell other people who he is? And I think this has to do with mistaken identity. What do I mean by that? Here the crowds are shouting Hosanna, which means, which means save or save us. They're calling him the son of David. That is because Jesus is from the line of David. Right? God made a promise, a covenant with David that one of his children, one of his offspring would be seated on a throne forever and ever. But here was the problem. Their understanding, the, the Jewish understanding of Messiah, was that he would come and he would offer and give political liberation. That is, at this point, the Jews are oppressed by the Roman government. And so as they are calling out, some of them probably do not understand what they're saying. In fact, they don't understand who Jesus truly is. And we see this a little bit later on in verse 11 when they say, this is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus indeed was a prophet, but he wasn't just a prophet. In fact, Jesus did not come to liberate them from Roman oppression. He actually came to do something far greater. For them, in their mind, they think that Roman, the Roman government is their greatest foe. But the greatest foe was not outside of them. The greatest foe was actually inside of them. It is the human heart that is rebellious against the true king. And in fact, we were enemies of God and didn't want anything to do with God. And yet Jesus being the true king could have wiped us out and instead he was crushed on the cross so that we might be brought into his kingdom. 
He could have easily cast us out. But he was the one who was cast out so that we might be accepted. This is a true king. A king who willingly lays down his life. Is he your king? Is Jesus your king? If he's not today, you can cry out to him. You can say, save me. And he will save you. It's interesting here that we have Jesus coming in on a donkey. But when Jesus returns, he's not coming back on a donkey. In fact, the picture in Revelation is that Jesus is coming back on a horse. He's coming back on a horse, and it says that he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. That is that Jesus is coming back as the king to judge. He is going to judge the world because of their rebellion against the king. And so all those who have not bowed the knee to the one true king will receive the wrath of God. And so today, as you hear the good news of the gospel, you can turn to this king. So that when Jesus comes back for you, he's not coming back to judge you. He's coming back to bring you home. Let's now look at the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom. The king itself implies that there's a kingdom. He's the one who is seated on the throne and rules over all things. And so the nature of the kingdom, the kingdom specifically being the people of God, the people of God. First, we see that they know him. There first needs to be a relationship with the king. And even in the text itself, there's a distinction between the disciples and the city. Verses 10 and 11 speak about how the whole city was stirred up. And they're asking the question, who is this? Who is this guy who's coming in on a donkey into Jerusalem? Who is he? They don't know who he is. And so first, disciples of Christ know him. They have trusted in him. We see this a few chapters earlier when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some are saying, well, some think you're Elijah. Some think you're, you're Jeremiah. Others think you're another prophet. And then Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And this is what Simon Peter says in Matthew 16, 16 through 17. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. That's Messiah. That's the anointed one, the promised one of the Old Testament. The son of the living God. 
And Jesus' response, verse 17, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It is all focusing and surrounding the identity of the Messiah who is Christ, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name, it's his title, the Messiah, the promised one. This goes all the way back to Genesis when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. God promised that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so we have this conquering king entering into Jerusalem. And so the question is, is do you know him? Have you, have you trusted in the king? Do you belong to the kingdom? Entrance into the kingdom is by faith. Peter himself confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that? If you believe that, you are a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God manifested today is, is in the local churches, through local churches. That is, Christians gather together as they worship the Lord, as they partake in the ordinances. All in all that, we are worshiping the true king corporately together. The first needs to be a knowledge and trust in the king. And then also, disciples of Christ, they actually also then serve him. Look at verse 6. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. may seem like a very small verse, maybe not that big of a deal. But think for a second, if Jesus were... Uh, to tell his disciples, go get this donkey and colt. And they're like, ah, I, don't really, I don't really feel like doing that right now. I, I just want to like relax and hang out. And I don't really want to go into that other village. I don't know what's over there. That donkey's probably smelly. Like, I, I, I just don't want to do that. But the disciples here, they went and did as Jesus had directed them. There is an obedience here that shows that they are disciples of Christ. So disciples of Christ serve him. They're obedient to him. They, they follow his commands. One of the threats of of serving Christ is, is pride. Pride is when we, when we think we are, are better than other people. Perhaps when we elevate ourselves above other people, we compare ourselves with others. One of, one of the ways that we see this is actually through entitlement where we feel like we're, we're owed something. Like you owe me for me doing this for you. Or you owe me just because. Just because I'm better or I'm, I'm the king or I'm God. And we may never say those words, but we might act that way. 
Think about it. Think about it in your head. What is it that I think I deserve? What is it that I think that I deserve? And one of the ways that we can find that out is by thinking about what gets us angry. What is it that gets you angry? Because when you, you and I get angry, it's because we have this goal in our mind that has not been met. Sometimes it, it can be as small as if someone doesn't text you back right away. And you get angry. Why? Because you think in your mind that person owes me a response back right away. Or in the context of the church, we might even think that I'm going to do these things. I'm going to serve the church, one, so that other people can look at me and give me a round of applause. Or what's dangerous as well is when we think then that God owes us. When we start to think that God owes me then we have become God. We have become the king. God needs to serve my needs. And sometimes we get upset, we get angry when we think, man, I'm serving the church, I'm reading my Bible, I am praying, and God has not given me the desires of my heart. That is entitlement. There is actually only one thing that we deserve. And that is the wrath of a holy and just and perfect God. And so everything else is a gift of God. Another angle of this is is false humility. Once we start to think I am humble... Man, we have really missed it. <laughs> if we are if we are fishing for compliments or we are trying to say, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal, at times that's false humility. We need to recognize that our God is king. That we are his servants. And so when we begin to then compare ourselves with other people or think that other people or even God owes us, we have missed the point. One way to, to fight against this is, is using God's word to, to meditate. And I think two good verses that help us with that is, is found in, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so as we begin to meditate on verses like that, that begins to change our mindset. That we remind ourselves, it's not all about me. It's actually all about Jesus and his bride, the church. 
And so as a result, I can worship him and I can serve him freely. In fact, Paul then goes on to to show us the, the ultimate humility in Christ. That we set our minds on Christ, who although he was God, he humbled himself and became man and was obedient to the point of death on a cross. What king would do that? Only the one true God. And we must remember that God gives grace to the humble. Isn't it amazing that God in his kindness would actually humble us? Would teach us. And so as Christians, as disciples, as followers of Christ, who, who make up the kingdom of God, we want to reflect Christ, our king. And a mark of that is humility. And so one of the ways that we, we serve Christ is actually by serving his church. We serve Christ by serving his bride, the church. And some of you are doing that. Praise God. And some of the rest of you maybe think, well, maybe I don't know how to serve. Or I feel like I don't have any, any gifts or strengths to serve. What should I do? Well, I'll have an opportunity for you today. That after the service, you can walk into the lobby and we have, we have about nine different ministries in the lobby with over 30 different volunteer opportunities that you can walk through and you can see what will be a good fit for me, right? We don't want you to serve in a place that's not going to be a good fit. It's not going to be good for you and it's not going to be good for that ministry. And so maybe your strength isn't this, but it's this. And so we have that for you so after the service that you can walk out, you can walk around the tables, and you can look at these different ministry opportunities to serve the bride of Christ. And yet you can do so in a a loving and humble way, knowing that all this is for God's glory. Knowing that we want to be committed here at Alliance Bible Church to captivating generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. We want people to know Christ, to grow in their love and desire and affections for Christ, and to bring the lost to a great and kind Savior. So I encourage you after the service to do that. And last, disciples, they praise the king. They praise the king. Zechariah 9 actually gives us a a helpful way to look at this, which actually isn't quoted in Matthew. The beginning part of Zechariah 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah calls us to rejoice and to shout aloud, to praise the king because he himself is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. Why? He brings salvation. That is, we were enemies of the king, deserving of his punishment, and he himself comes to save us by laying down his life willingly and lovingly. I encourage you today or later this week to read the rest of Zechariah chapter 9. There's so much in there. So I'm not going to preach another sermon on Zechariah 9 right now, but I will point out a few things. It goes on to say that he shall speak peace to the nations. You think about all the, the turmoil that's in our world, in our country, in our county, and you think about all the disaster that we see on the news and all around us. Christ, the true king, when he comes back, there will be peace. And that's something we can look forward to. When we think about all the evil and the wickedness in this world, and we say, where is the justice? Jesus, the true just king, will bring proper and true justice in the end. That is something the Christian can actually look forward to in hope. All the wrongs that have been wronged against you will be righted when the Savior comes back. He rules and reigns, and nothing, nothing can stand in his way. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew that he will build his church. So in the midst of all that you face, all that goes on in your mind, know that your king is for you. He sets prisoners free. He protects his people. He stands on their behalf. And so as a result, we can trust our king. And the proper response to the humble, omniscient, and sovereign king is joyful worship. Because of who he is, because of what he has done, we can praise him. And so that means on Sunday mornings, if you can't sing well like me, you can still sing loudly. God is most concerned about our hearts. And we can praise him through song. We praise him as we serve his church and one another. And we worship him. All week long, through our, through our thoughts, through our actions, through our words, because he is our king. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for our king, Jesus Christ, the one who would willingly lay down his life for us. And we pray now, Lord, as we remember his sacrifice, 
that we would take great comfort knowing that he is for us. And we give you thanks and praise, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So you can take out your communion elements with you. You know, one of the things that's pointing out in Zechariah 9 is something that's seen a few times in the scriptures. Zechariah 9.11 says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. The phrase, the blood of my covenant, is seen uh, in the Old Testament with Moses as well. And here what we see and what we notice is that Christ himself sheds his blood for his people. And we're reminded of this as we, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, that we were actually enslaved to our sin, worshiping our own sinful desires, and yet Christ the King shed his blood to set us free from that. And so this meal is for those who are part of the new covenant. That is, it's for Christians, it's for disciples, it's, been, it's for those who have been set free by Christ. So that if you are not a part of the new covenant, if you are not a Christian, if you're not a disciple, this meal is actually not for you. But the call, the invite for you is actually to call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And for the Christian, we could be reminded that Christ is for us. That the blood he shed was to forgive all of our rebellion against the king. And so you team take comfort, Christian, knowing that your, your sins, though they are great, that you have a greater savior who went to the Mount of Olives and prayed in agony that the cup that he was about to drink, which was the wrath of God, might be passed if there was another way, but the way was for him to drink the cup so that you might be forgiven. And so Jesus Christ On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In Christ, when he took the cup, He gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink. Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you, 
I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so Christ is coming back for his people, and we can rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for the sacrifice of your son on our behalf to wipe away all of our sin, to declare us righteous and forgiven in your sight. And we thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. We thank you for your son who defends us and protects us as our true king. And Lord, as we look forward to the day that he returns, I pray you'd help us to live lives that are holy and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that we would be committed to Christ and his church, that we would serve his church lovingly and willingly. Humble us, Lord. I pray that you would strip away the pride that remains in our hearts, that we might cling more tightly to you. And we thank you for the promise, Lord, that your son Jesus is holding on to us. We love you, Lord, and I pray that we would sing as a response to your goodness, your glory, your majesty. And we pray these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.